For those of you who don't know me, my name is Luke Hedinger. Um, I get the privilege to be one of the pastors on staff here at Compass, and that feels good to say. So, um, yeah, that's it's relatively new. So, uh, relatively new thing. Uh, if, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. We're in Matthew chapter 16. Um, Pastor Craig, he's on vacation this week, and as we were talking about uh, today, what we wanted to what we wanted to preach on, what, what we felt like maybe God was inviting us into. It's, it's kind of a weird space because we just wrapped up Titus um, last week. If you, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go online and, and check that out. Um, and, and next week is what? Palm Sunday, right. Some people said Easter. I'm, I'm there with you. It's like, well, I don't know. What is today? Um, so Palm Sunday next week, we're going to be talking about the triumphal entry. And then what? Hey, there we go. Yeah, Easter Sunday. We're going we're gonna to celebrate. We're going to praise God. We are Easter. I, I, love, I love coming together and worshiping with God's people on Easter Sunday. It is so much fun. And I would encourage you, uh, as Troy said, make sure you take these cards. We printed off a bunch of them, and it would be really disappointing if we get to Monday after Easter and we still have a big stack of those cards. And again, just like Troy said, the reason we're doing this is not so that we can just feel good about a full room on Easter morning. Amen? That's not the point. That is not the point. The point is we, we live in a, in a dying, dark world who desperately needs the hope of Christ. Amen? And 50%, if that's true, if that's true, that 50% of, of people that you know that are around you would actually come with you if you just invited them, that's, we got to take those odds, right? We got to take those odds. We are ambassadors for Christ. And so we, we are inviting people, not because we want to pat ourselves on the back, but because we know that people need the freedom that Christ offers. Amen? So make sure if you're thinking, well, I only have one card. I have a bunch of friends. Well, praise God, you have a bunch of friends, and we have a bunch of cards. So uh, make sure you get more cards on your way out at the Welcome Center, and there, there's, there's some all throughout the church. So if you find them, take them, uh, give them to people, all right? Um, so also, also we, we have a Good Friday coming up. We have a Good Friday service, 630. I love Good Friday services. Good Friday service is like, it's, it's kind of heavy. You know, you, you come in and we, we remember the death, uh, the death of Christ, the murder of Christ, and, and the, the torture of Christ. And we just, we remember what that is. And it's kind of a heavy uh, service, but it's one of those heavies that's like, man, that, that, was, that was a lot. But it's like kind of working out where it's like, I feel wrung out, but in a good way. Um, so that's, that's going to be 630 on Friday. But this morning, um, again, we're, we're kind of in this weird in-between place. And so I started looking, um, again, with, with Easter in two weeks and then next week, the triumphal entry. I kept looking back in, in the biblical narrative, in the story, and thinking, okay, well, w you know, what else is happening? As, as you kind of look and flip back. And, and I, I got to this one passage, and it just like, 
lodged itself in my brain like a burr in my sock. You know, if you've ever walked through a pasture, you know what I'm talking about. And it's just like, it just, it was there and it just kept, uh, just, just, I just kept processing it, kept thinking about it. And, and ultimately, I, I think the thing that really, as I was studying this passage, the thing that really stuck out to me was what we see in this passage of Matthew 16 is, is the, the core thing core ingredient we need if we are going to engage in a life on mission with Christ. The, the core thing we need if we're going to engage in a, in a life on mission with Christ. Now my hope is that you're like, okay, yeah, what is that? What, what, what is it? Well, let me, let me ask you before, we, before I tell you, before I give you the answer. If you think about experiences that you've had, maybe crazy experiences or, or just good stories, you know, those experiences where it's like, can you believe we just did that um, with friends or family or, or strangers? It doesn't have to be people you know. What are some of the main ingredients that made those experiences possible? What are some of the main ing- ingredients that made those experiences possible? Huh? Spontaneity, yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great ingredient. Yeah, a lot a lot of crazy stories are. It's like, well, I don't know, we were just sitting there and had this idea and we just did it, right? Adventure, adventure, adventure yeah. Risk. Risk, yes. Invitation, yeah, invitation. Hey, come come with me. We're going downtown. Relationship. Absolutely, relationship. I, um, those are those are all great ingredients for for great stories, right? Uh, I think one of the key ingredients, though, if if we don't have this one, we don't have anything. And I think that is trust, right? I, I remember when when I was uh, I think I was sixteen. Um, and my, my cousin, he was just a little bit younger than me. He had just turned 16. And he got uh, one, of the, one of the first vehicles that he had when he turned 16 was a, I think it was a, it was a relatively new, like 97 Harley Sportster. Yeah, for a 16-year-old in rural, small-town Missouri, not a good idea. Not, yeah, like that's, yeah, people in first service, they just, they're like, oh no, you know, I, I agree. I'm there. I told my kids, that is not going to be your first vehicle, right? I love motorcycles, but not for your first one. Uh, and I, I remember one night, you know, he had, he was showing it off. He had just gotten, he's like, Luke, jump on the back. I was like, absolutely not. Like, I'm dumb, but that's just one level, you know, like, I mean, when I was 16, right? Not now. But, um, and, and I was like, I'm not, no way. I'm not. He's like, oh, come on. I won't do any wheelies or anything. He's like, I didn't even know that was a possibility. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that. I'm, now I'm definitely not. But he's like, oh, come on, come on, come on. So finally, I jumped on the back of his bike. And uh, I mean, one paved road in Brashear, Missouri. And we got going faster than you would have thought possible down that one road. And I survived, and it's fine, and you know, and I, but but the the thing that that I had to have in order to get on the back of that bike was what? Helmet. A helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, no. I mean, again, 16, rural Missouri, bored, you know, all those dangers, risk, yeah, yeah. But trust, right? Now, granted, misplaced trust for sure, but trust. 
You see, I, th- I think any story, any movie that we watch, that we enjoy, whether it's, whether it's a romantic comedy, whether it's an adventure, it, it seems like the majority of movies, there comes a time in the movie where the hero of the movie is like, m- maybe he's hanging off a building or hanging off a cliff or, or whatever. There's a point at which the, the hero reaches out to the other people in the story and says what? Do you trust me? Right? Do you trust me? What's the invitation? I mean, if if you're like, no, absolutely not. But the invitation is, will you engage? Will you enter into a bigger, better story than the one that you're living right now? I mean, that's like Neo, the Matrix. There was a new Matrix that just came out. I didn't watch it. I heard it wasn't very good. But the the classic one back in the 90s, right? Uh, Neo, he's living in this make-believe world. And if you haven't seen it, it's fine. But uh, he's living in this make-believe world. And he he gets this, uh, you know, message from Morpheus, another person in the story. And the the invitation was, do you trust me? Will Will you take this pill? Bad messages, right? But, but will, will you trust me and engage in a bigger story than what you've experienced right now? And I believe what we see in this passage in Matthew 16 is the same invitation that, that Morpheus gave to Neo, any, any hero gives to the people in the story. It's God saying, do you trust me? It's an invitation. Last night as I was trying to go to sleep, I, I just could not go to sleep because I had this one, uh, one phrase that just kept going over and over and over in my mind. And it was, it was this, trust is the key unlocking a life on mission. Trust is the key unlocking a life on on mission. And so this morning, what I want us to, to wonder about, you know, you could say trust is the key unlocking the door to a life, well, however you want to say this. This morning, what I want us to do as we look at this passage, I want us to ask ourselves, okay, what would that look like for me to engage in a life trusting God? A life on mission, putting my trust in the hands of, of Jesus, my Savior. So read with me Matthew 16. If you don't have Bibles, um, I have it, have it up on the screen, um, but also there, there are Bibles uh, under the seats in front of you throughout, throughout the, the room, um, and it's page 1495 in those Bibles. So if you don't have a Bible at home, take that Bible with you. Uh, we would love to fill more, um, have to put more Bibles in seats. So if you would stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, the ESV, which I read out of a lot, says the leaven. Um, you guys' um, translations, you see that word in there? The leaven of the Pharisees? Very similar. Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 7. They discussed this among themselves and said, ah, It's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this time that we can just stop and we can breathe and we can be in this place together. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give me the words to speak, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. And God, help us to to engage with you and, and see you more clearly than when we came into this place. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as we, as we look at this passage, okay, as we look at this passage, what, what do we see in the context of where we're at? The disciples there um, in, in Mark's gospel, we read that they're actually in the boat when this is happening. Um, and, and again, they're, they're traveling. They're in transit. Whether they're still in the boat or whether they just got on land, um, it's, you know, like depends on who you talk to. Right? And so, so as, as they're going, uh, they just got done. They have this interaction with the Pharisees right before this. Before that, they, uh, Jesus feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves of, of bread and a few fish. So, and, and before that, a chapter or two chapters before that, he feeds 5,000. And, and the feeding of the 5,000, if you look at it and, and you, you understand the context, that was a Jewish uh, audience. That was, that was in a Jewish um, part of the country. And then the feeding of the 4,000 was in a Gentile part. It was across the Sea of Galilee, and it was, it was to a Gentile audience. And basically, what, what Matthew and what the gospel writers are trying to get us to understand is that whether it's Jew or Gentile, whether it's people close to God or far from God, the, the answer is the same, that Jesus is sufficient, that Jesus can meet our needs, right? And so, so we come from that experience to now they're in a boat and Jesus, he, he, he tells the disciples this. He warns them and he says, hey, beware. ESV says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And what do they do immediately? Oh, we forgot bread. Oh, who's supposed to be, Peter, you're supposed to bring bread. You know, they, they start to discuss amongst themselves. And in, in Mark's gospel, it says that they brought one loaf of bread. In Matthew's gospel, it says they forgot to bring any bread. I think it's, I think it's humorous because like most likely bread in this day, it's not like Jimmy John's bread. You know, it's like a, a loaf of bread, right? Little. Now, if you think of how many guys are in the boat, most likely, 13 guys, 12 disciples plus Jesus. If you have one little loaf of bread, you might as well not have any bread, right? We had a foreign exchange student that lived with us for a while. That kid ate so much bread, it was hard to keep bread in the house. So 13 guys, yeah, we forgot to bring bread. And Jesus, he, he knows they're saying this, and he's saying, what's going on? We're going to talk about the, what the leaven is in just a few minutes. But I think what we see here is that Jesus, first and foremost, he's trying to get them to engage with a spiritual truth, with, with a deeper understanding, and yet they have to be confronted with their physical limitations before they can understand anything more. I think Jesus does this on purpose, too. The, the word for leaven in Greek, is very similar to the word uh, teaching. It's very similar. So I, I think Jesus is doing this on purpose because he wants them to understand something deeper, but in order to get there, they have to be first confronted with their insecurity. They, they first have to be confronted with, with their inability. 
Right? And, and I love it because, because as he's doing this, as he's bringing them into a deeper understanding of what he's doing and what he's about and, and the things they need to be on guard against, again, their minds immediately go to what they forgot to do. The, it, it immediately goes to, to uh, oh, oh I, bet he's, I bet he's hitting on this. I bet, you know, just, just a little, we don't know how much time uh, went between the feeding of the 4,000 and this moment, but it's like, we just had basketfuls of bread. Why, oh, why didn't we put some of that in our pockets? Why didn't we plan ahead? Why do we, Jesus is, he's mad at us. He's, he's, you know, he's pointing out like our, our stupidity. He's doing all these different things. And yet, yet as they're confronted, again, Jesus is trying to get them to, to go into something deeper. And yet the reality is when we experience times like this, and we all have, we've all been confronted with our insecurities. We've all been confronted. Maybe, maybe it's sin in our lives. Maybe it's just like, ah, I did that thing again. Or, uh, you know, invite cards. When we talk about the invite cards, for some of us, that can bring up a lot of insecurity. Right? Like, you expect me to talk to my neighbor? Are you, you don't know my neighbor. Do you expect me to, to invite my coworkers to church? They don't know that I go to church, and I'm fine with that. You know, that maybe, maybe it brings up a lot of insecurity in you. We've all been confronted in this way with insecurity. And lots of times when we're confronted, when our insecurities are confronted, we respond in one of two ways. And we see both of those ways uh, in Genesis 3 when God confronts Adam and Eve with their sin. What's the first thing that happens when God comes into the garden and he's calling out Adam? Adam, Adam, where are you? What do we see first? They hide. See, lots of times when we're confronted with our sin, we just want to hide. We just want to cover up. We want to check out. We want to remove ourselves. Like, there are times in life where I walk into things and it's like, this is so hard. I just, I'm good. I'm just going to, you know, go out the side door. I just want to watch another, binge another uh, season of whatever on Netflix. I just, you know, I, let's, just, let's just be calm. Let's not have these conversations. We just check out. We don't want to engage. We want to hide. Uh, there, there was a, a time in my life when I was a new believer uh, going to Bible college. I had sin in my life that I did not want to confess I did not want to bring it into the light because I knew if I confess the sin, if I bring it into the light, it is going to be extremely hard and I don't know if I'm going to get past it. My relationships are going to be different. I might lose people. Uh, people are going to look at me so different if I, if I bring this out into the light. And so what I would do, I mean, we had chapel every day at Bible college. Every day. They were trying to drown us in chapel services. I mean, we'd, we'd go into chapel, and we got graded if we, if we weren't there. Like, if you slept through it, you'd fail chapel. It was terrible. Anyway, side note. But uh, as, as we sat in chapel, there would be times where, you know, the, the word of God was being preached, and we were worshiping, and I would feel like the spirit start to move in me. And it was almost like every time that happened, the same sin. It was like God was just there. Jesus was saying, hey, will you give this to me? Will you trust me with this brokenness? And every time I started to feel that, guess what I would do? Ooh, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, I, you, that's time. I better hurry up and get to in the lunch line. Anytime I felt the spirit moving, I would just remove myself. I would check out. I would hide because I knew 
I knew what God was asking of me, and I did not know if I could trust him in that moment. See, maybe it's not, maybe it's, well, again, okay. So the first thing Adam and Eve did, they hid. What's the second thing they did? When, when God was like, didn't I tell you not to eat of the, the tree? Didn't I tell you? What did they do? Blame right, blame someone else. What, Adam, Adam first, he's like, well, you know, God, I mean, I don't want to point any fingers, but, you know. And, and ultimately, he's saying, look, the, this woman that you, I, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it, but some people could say, God, that maybe it was even your fault. I, I wouldn't say that. But some people might say that it was actually your fault because you gave me this woman. And actually, I wouldn't even be in this situation if it wasn't for, you know, not my fault. Right? We, we can get into the situation where when our insecurities, when our sins, when our shortcomings are, are confronted, when we're exposed, we begin to lash out. We blame shift. We, we look at everybody else, anybody else but, but me. Like my, my dad, uh, he used to hunt raccoons. It's like, I feel like I grew up in a Disney Channel Davy Crockett show or something. But like my dad was telling me that he bought my mom's first microwave oven by like how many raccoons he hunted in a season. Yeah, some of you are aware of this. It's crazy, crazy. Um, and he told me one time, he's like, Luke, one of the most dangerous things you can encounter is a cornered raccoon, right? You see, I think, I think church people can be just as dangerous when we're confronted with our insecurities, with our sins. We can do a lot of damage, right? We can do a lot of damage. And yet, see, Jesus, he's confronting them. He's trying to get them to engage in something deeper. But he's, he's saying, first, we need to engage with this physical thing. We need to, we need to address this. And what he does is he offers them a third way. He doesn't let them hide. He doesn't let them blame shift. He doesn't let, oh, Peter, he was supposed to bring the bread. Oh, you know, oh. he doesn't let them do all that. In fact, he engages and he says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Don't you yet perceive? Don't you understand? I, I love it because he doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, you of little intelligence. He doesn't say, oh, you idiots. I mean, he, it is a confrontation. It is, he's drawing them out. But it isn't a confrontation that is meant to separate or shame. He's not saying, get out of my boat. I'm done. You guys are, you're, you are dumber than a box of rocks. I just, I just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of, of bread. I just fed 5,000. And that was just the men. Right? That was just the men. He's saying, we have one, 13 guys. I think we'll be okay. He wasn't, he wasn't doing that. This was a confrontation that was meant to bring them in closer. It was a confrontation that was meant to, meant to say, hey, okay, let's, let's huddle up. It's just like, his, like the parables of Jesus. They're so hard to understand, and yet we see when, like the parable of the sower, when Jesus gives this parable and he says, you know, some people are like the seed that's sown on the path. You guys know the story, right? And the seed that's sown on rocky ground, all these different things. The disciples come to him afterwards and say, hey, we don't get it. What's he do? He circles them up and, and he explains it. He says, well, this is what I'm talking about. And yet there were other people who they didn't get it, and what they did was like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. Peace, I'm out. See, see, what Jesus does with his disciples is he invites them in, and he invites them into a third way. And that third way is to, is to change their lens from scarcity to what? Trust. 
right? To trust. He's bringing them in and he's saying, don't you remember what we did with the 4,000? And you filled up the baskets. Don't you remember what we did with the 5,000? And you filled up the baskets. I don't know how big the baskets were, but they were probably pretty big. And it took them a long time. And and that was an experience. And yet the reality of the situation was the disciples in that moment, they had these experiences, but they didn't let the facts of their experience impact the reality of their faith. And, and we can be the same way. We have experiences. We have experiences where God has come through, and yet, and yet now maybe we're on the verge of a new one. We're on the verge of something different. We're on the verge, and, and, and our insecurities, our shortcomings, maybe our sin is being confronted. And once again, God is standing there. Jesus is standing there saying, do you trust me? And it's so easy for us to look at him and then look at the, the scarcity and say, man, my bread bag is empty. And yet the reality over and over and over again is that when we put our hand in his, we can walk into a life of mission and purpose and meaning and abundance. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. It might be abundance in light of the lost job or in light of the sickness or in light of all of those different things. And yet in the midst of that, I love 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The promise that we have through Christ is even in the midst of our shortcomings, we can have freedom in him when we walk in the light. And this, this doesn't just mean, it's not just our sins. It can be any situation that we have. When, uh, when early on, you know, we, we had a lot of health uh, things with, with our kids. And, and we had a lot of really well-meaning uh, church people that we love very much um, come to us and say, you know, you know the, um, God will never give us more than we can handle. Yeah, uh, you know, there, there were times where I'd hear that and just be like, if one more person tells me that, I'm going to give them something more than they can handle, you know? Like, the reality of that, that comment is it's just not true, right? It's just not true. See, if, if God doesn't give us more than we can handle, then why do we need God? Amen. Yeah. If, if we could save ourselves, we are not in need of a savior. And see, the reality is when we enter, when we engage, when we think about how many lost people who do not know Jesus, who do not have a church home, who do not have spiritual influence in this community, it can be overwhelming, right? I mean, what's the 1,900 people just in a square mile of this church have no spiritual influence? Christian or otherwise, that can be overwhelming. It's like, oh, what can we do about that? If we truly believe that Jesus is all sufficient and it doesn't matter that our lack, then we can do a lot. Amen? We can do a lot. It doesn't matter what our history says. It doesn't matter what, what our shortcomings. It doesn't matter what our sins say up to this point. What matters is do we trust that God can do amazing things through broken people? My hope is the answer to that is yes, because that is what we're, what we're invited into. And in fact... As we look at this, it is the exact thing, this, this idea of trust. It's the thing that Jesus is warning his disciples against that he sees in the Pharisees. 
Because at the end of this engagement, at the, at the end of this, again in verse, verse 11 of uh, chapter 16, it says, How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Or we read it up there, beware of the yeast. He goes back to this, this original comment. And then the disciples, it says in verse 12, then they understood. You know, they, they have the light bulb moment. Oh, oh, it's not bread that you're telling us to be aware of. It's something more than that. You see, and ultimately, what he's, what he's telling them to be aware of is this idea of misplaced trust. Because right before this, in the beginning of, of Matthew 16, Jesus has an interaction with the Pharisees. And the, it says in, in verse 1, if, if you do have your Bibles open, you just turn, turn there, verse 1, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. I mean, you, you can read on. He answered them. And he's like, why, why do you keep needing signs? And again, the, the motivation, they're, they're wanting to test him. They're, they're not wanting to actually know. They're not wanting to actually see. They're not wanting to actually come close. What they're wanting to do is they're wanting to expose him and say, you are not Messiah. You can't be Messiah. You can't be Messiah. Because ultimately, their understanding of Messiah comes from places like Malachi, uh, chapter 4, 1 through 3, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 4 is the last chapter uh, in Malachi. And God says this through the prophet, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name... The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. What, what we read in the book of Malachi, this is pointing to the coming Messiah. To the rescuing of God's people. And that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's what they had in their minds. When, when they're thinking Messiah's coming and we're going we're gonna to tread down the wicked. We're going we're gonna to be lifted up. We're going to have prosperity. It's going to be the year, the Bible calls it the year of Jubilee when everything is put right. And that's what they're thinking that Messiah will do. That's their plans. And yet what they hear from Jesus, what they hear from Jesus is blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when, when men revile you and say all matter of things against you. Blessed are, blessed are the poor in spirit. Like, are you, are you kidding me? Blessed are the poor in spirit? You're supposed to be Messiah. You're supposed to, uh, um, this, this thinking, I mean, we can look at the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and be like, oh, they were the bad guys. But even John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist had this, this same thought process. In Matthew eleven two through 6, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. Now, again, just pause there. He's in prison because he is speaking out uh, about the, the evil and the wickedness in their culture. So he gets thrown in prison. And it says, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And I love how Jesus responds to him. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See, what, what John the Baptist is thinking, again, he's thinking in terms of Malachi chapter 4. 
Like when, when the Messiah comes, he's going to release the captives. Like the, the idea of the calf uh, running out of the salt. Anybody work with cows in here? Okay, one, verse two. All right, I hate cows. Grew up with cows, hate Hate is not a strong enough word. If there's a word above hate, that's what I feel for cows. Like, they're just the worst. All right? Some of you are like, oh, I love cows. That's fine. Maybe you haven't been around them as much as I have. But, but you know, working with cows, there, there's times where, where you, you know, you put the calf in the, in the chute and the thing comes down on your head and you're doing whatever you're doing behind them. Sometimes, like, yeah, I'd kick too if that was happening. Um, that's a whole other sermon illustration. But then, but then when, when you, some of you are tracking with me, you've been there. But then, then when, you, when you release that chute and that calf goes out, and it's like, oh, you know, like, oh, I'm free. Like the, the calf is leaping for joy. The, the freedom that they're experiencing. I, I was once held captive and really bad stuff was happening to me. And now I'm free. And that's what the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, John the Baptist was thinking. When Messiah comes, we're going to be free. We're going to be leaping like calves. And yet now John the Baptist is in prison and he's saying, wait a second, did I miss it? Did I miss something? Because, because what I expected to happen is definitely not what is actually happening. And I love when, when Jesus is responding to John the Baptist, he's saying, okay, yes, I, there, there are promises like Malachi, but there are also promises like in Isaiah. And he references, this is one of the places that most likely he's referencing in response to John the Baptist, Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, same like calf, leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. What, what Jesus is telling the disciples, and uh, John the Baptist, and what he's warning the disciples against is this mindset that says, look, I will trust you if. I will trust you if my life goes this way. I will trust you if my health holds out. I will trust you if my 401k is in a secure position. I will trust you if my kids are X, Y, and Z. I will, I will trust you if. And yet what Jesus is telling John the Baptist, what he's telling his disciples, he's saying, beware that you don't miss what God is doing because it's not what you expected. Beware that you don't miss it. And I think that that's the, I, I read way too much this past week about what like leaven does to bread. I kept thinking, what, what is leaven? What's yeast? What? And, and, and really what they would do back in the day when women would make bread, they would take a little piece of the, of the dough from the, the previous week, they'd set it aside, and then they would put it into this week's batch of dough, the unleavened bread. And that, that batch from the previous week had bacteria in it, um, and that bacteria would work its way through the dough, creating these, these air pockets, and it would make the dough rise. And pretty soon, that, that whole lump of dough that was set aside, kind of forgotten about in silence, now the whole thing is changed by this one little piece. And the reality is, what Jesus is talking about here, is it's really easy for this type of thinking to permeate through everything we do. This misplaced trust, this, this trust that says, I will trust you if... I will trust you if you work in this way. I will trust you if you do these things. It is so easy, kind of in silence, for that to change everything. And pretty soon, we, we can say, you know what? I'm done. 
we can say, you know what? If you were really God, that I wouldn't have got this phone call from the doctor. You know what? If, if you were really God, my job wouldn't have went this way. If you were really God, our culture wouldn't be going this way. If you were really God, our country wouldn't be going this way. If you were really God, fill in the blank. So I'm done. And yet what Jesus invites us into is he's standing there holding out his hand saying, do you trust me? In the midst of your insecurity, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your inability, sometimes stupidity, right? In the, in the midst of, of, of what you think was going to happen, he's standing there saying, do you trust me? And church, I absolutely believe when we can be people who say, yes, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't understand what is happening, but I trust you. When we, can, when we can have that posture, it is the key that unlocks the door to a life on mission with Christ. Right? Amen? It is the key. It's the thing that says, if you ask me to speak to this person, I'm going to trust that you understand what they need even when I don't. I'm going I'm to trust that you know better than me. I'm going to trust that you are sufficient even when I feel so insufficient. One of, one of my favorite stories, when thinking about this, one of my favorite stories is um, the, this thing called the Haystack Prayer Meeting. In, in 1806, it's a long time ago, 1806, these five college students were talking about just, uh, you know, world missions and the impact of world missions and their responsibility in world missions and, and just trying to process, like, wh- what do we do? Do we go? Do we, what, how do we engage this mission that we, that we see happening in the world. And, and as, they're, as they're processing, as they're thinking about these things, a thunderstorm comes up out of nowhere, and they seek shelter under this, this haystack. And I'm used to hay bales. I don't know how you get shelter under a haystack, but they did. And they're, they're sheltering under this haystack. And as the lightning crashes, the story goes, as the lightning crashes, as the rain pours down, they're praying, they're seeking God. And one of the college students... Um, his name was, one of the college students, his name was Mills. He cries out in the midst of prayer, in the midst of singing, in the midst of seeking God. He cries out, we can do this if we will. We can do this if we will. Out of those five college students, five missions organizations were formed. And, and perhaps more, more exciting than that, um, just 80 short years later, 80 years later, a man named uh, Luther Wishard was, was reading about this example and these five college students and what they did for the Lord. And he was so moved by it that he started a, a movement called the Student Volunteer Movement. And over the course of the next 40 years, 20,000 college students were raised up to go in cross-cultural missions. Change, change the course of world mission. It started with five college students saying, we don't know what God's doing, but we're willing to trust him. See, those 12 guys in that boat, well, 11, 11 guys in that boat, changed the world. Because they said, yes, we will trust you. Compass Church, what could God do with us? What could, what could God do with us here in Columbia, Missouri? The invitation is, 
Do you trust me? What does that look like for you this morning? Maybe for you, maybe, maybe it's confessing sin. Maybe it's bringing your brokenness into the light of his grace. It's experiencing a, a message of, of freedom, not shame, but freedom. Maybe it's talking to somebody that, that you, you're, you're like, I know I need to talk to this person, but I don't know if I can. Maybe it's, maybe it's being more sacrificial. I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe for some of you, it's taking the step of, of obedience to get baptized. We're having baptisms on Easter. I'm so excited for that. That's going to be so much fun to be able to celebrate new life as we celebrate the risen Lord and Savior. Maybe for some of you, it's taking the step to say, you know, I've never been baptized but I want to take that step of obedience and I want to be baptized showing the, the world that my allegiance, my dedication, that I'm saying yes to trusting in Jesus. I'm not sure what it is for you this morning, but I know the invitation is for each of us. So if you would join me, join me in prayer. God, we, we thank you. We praise you that as we, as we seek your will, as we as we think about who you are, as we think about the sufficiency of you, the fact that, that no, matter, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, God, you, your invitation is being extended. God, maybe, maybe there are people here this morning, maybe they, they've been carrying the burden of their sin for a long time, and maybe this morning is the opportunity for them to lay that down at your feet. Maybe there are some who they, they feel so insufficient to be able to, to do anything for you. They don't have the education or the words or whatever it is. And God, I pray that you would, that you would invite them into that third way of, of seeing through the lens of trust, not their own scarcity. God, help us to be people when you extend your hand, when you, when you say, will you trust me? God, help us to be people who say yes and enter into that life of mission. We love you, God. We praise you. We thank you. It's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.